Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So yesterday, one of the things we talked about on the show was the idea of progress. And I talked yesterday about how you know there is some evidence that the Georgia program has shown progress over the course of the last few years. And then if all you do is measure Georgia against Alabama, almost any program looks lacking in that regard. So it's appropriate when possible to kind of pull back and look at the other ways in which Georgia is showing progress while it's still waiting to topple that final. It's almost like Alabama's like the big boss, Bowser's Castle or something like that. That's the final boss. you got to topple on your way to conquering the video game. But while you're on your way to getting there, being able to measure progress in other ways is really important. And we talked about some of that yesterday. I want to kind of keep that theme going here just for a little bit. And let me be a blowhard for like two seconds. There's a lot of things that like super rich people like Bill Gates say that I find to be frankly quite strange, but not everything they say is strange. Every now and then, something that one of these like mega billionaires might say is actually I find to be pretty helpful. Let me give you an example of this. This is a quote that I think is at least attributed to Bill Gates, although uh, I don't really know the actual genesis of it, but this is a quote I've heard attributed to Bill Gates before. I think this makes a lot of sense. He says that human beings have a tendency to overrate what they can accomplish in one year, but underrate what they can accomplish over the course of five years. If you really think about that, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess the simplest way to explain that is that if you start today, a year from now, could you become a concert pianist? No, probably not. But if you started today and practiced for the next five years, could you be good enough to impress your friends? Yeah, you actually probably could. That, that what you can do in one year, in our mind, we kind of overstate what that could possibly be. But over the course of five years, we kind of understate how much we could accomplish if we just show up and kind of put our nose to the grindstone each and every day. And you can decide for yourself what the application might be for your own life in that regard. But I think the kind of thing is also tr- very true for college football there as well. And I think some of the frustration that's existed for Georgia fans after having lost Alabama is that frustration for just assuming that more could be done in one year than was actually possible. That there's this thought of, Georgia's supposed to be as good offensively as Alabama is. That didn't happen. Therefore, Georgia's a failure, and therefore it's never going to get over that hump. I mean, how many comments have we taken over the course of the last 72 hours from folks who were saying, Kirby Smart's never going to beat Nick Saban because he didn't beat him this year. To me, that's an example of overrating what could have been done in a year and underrating what might be a pretty impressive five-year story for the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, let me explain more about this this way. Do you remember one of the things that we said about Georgia in the offseason? One of the things that we said about Georgia in the offseason was that if Georgia was going to put together a championship season this year, that a great team was going to be made up of a collection of great individual players. In fact, (laughs) some of you in kind of a kind and gentle way, but in some of you a little bit more forceful way, you talked about the fact that I kept hammering this point home over and over and over again. That's how important I thought it was. That if you're going to have a great team for Georgia this year, you're going to have to have a bunch of guys have kind of like career year type stuff and put themselves in the position. We talked about two benchmarks for this. We talked about two benchmarks, NFL draft and all 
SEC conference status, especially after the NFL draft. We talked about how really the magic number there was about six first-round picks. That if you wanted to be a truly great team on par with recent national champions, you had to produce about six first-round picks. Now, it remains to be seen come April how many that is or how many guys that that might eventually be first-round picks are also playing on this team right now. That's kind of a multi-year story. So let's push the NFL draft thing to the side here for a moment. What we do have a little bit more information about is something else we said along this same time. That much the same way we're watching for the NFL draft to be a measurement of how much talent Georgia currently has, and that becomes a fairly uh, uh, strong correlation with how well Georgia's doing as a team, the same thing can also similarly be said by what Georgia's doing from an all-conference standpoint there as well. And I want to give you uh, an example of this. So, so if you go back and look at the preseason all-conference team, preseason all-SEC team, and we said during the offseason that the way to look at this was only the first team. Not, not. I mean, there's. It's obviously a great accomplishment to be second team, third team. But there's something pretty predictive about first team, all SEC, all conference type success. That 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 goes a long way towards determining how closely Georgia is tracking along the way to potentially winning a national championship. And I was going. I went back to July to find this story from Connor Riley. And just a couple of sentences here that gives you some context for what the end of the season actually looks like. So this is Connor Riley, July 27th, 2021 from Dog Nation. I'm not going to show this to you on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. Georgia had 10 players on the all-conference list for all teams. Alabama came in with 16 players. But perhaps the more concerning number, this is the preseason all-SEC team for this year, the more concerning number was Alabama placing eight players on the preseason first team with Georgia having just two. Those two at the time were Jordan Davis and Jake Camarda. So in the preseason, there was this perception gap in between Georgia and Alabama. Bama had eight first-team All-SEC guys. That's the kind of thing you would expect an eventual SEC champion to have. Georgia only had two, which was far removed from the kind of individual player success that you have to have if you want to win the SEC championship and be a truly legitimate national championship contender. Well, here's the great news, and this is progress that should not be ignored. And this is not participation trophy stuff. This is not consolation prize stuff. This is a legitimate example of how Georgia has grown as a program over the course of this year. At the beginning of the year, the folks who follow the SEC the closest only saw two players in this roster they thought were worthy of first-team status. And we said a thousand times during the summer, if that's the story at the end of the season, then Georgia's going to the Outback Bowl. If that's the story at the end of the season, then Georgia's far removed from the college football playoff. Well, guess what? That wasn't the story at the end of the season. Yesterday, the SEC announced its uh, first team, all-SEC team for the end of the season, announced all those there as well. Can I show this on the screen here for a moment? And what you're going to see here is, can we throw this on the screen, the all-SEC team? Let's see if I can. uh, Michael, can we throw this on the screen, the all-SEC team? Can we throw the all-SEC team? There we go. Uh, So if you look at the all-SEC team, uh, that was announced yesterday, what you see is a total of five Georgia Bulldogs on the list. You've got Brock Bowers on offense. You've got Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, N'Kobe Dean on defense. You've got Jake Camarda as the punter, first team. That's five first-team guys at the end of the season, where in the beginning of the season, there are only two guys that got that same nod. So Wyatt and Dean and Bowers – they all raised their level of play to the point that they were far more notable by the end of the season than they were at the beginning of the season. And that's the kind of thing that really matters. 
But let me also add to this and by saying this, that much the same way I said a moment ago, that folks just have a tendency to underestimate what can be done over the course of five years. I think along those same lines, I think a lot of Georgia fans may be disregarding what has also happened for UGA over the course of years. Because Georgia having five first-team All-SEC guys in 2021 is actually a fairly significant accomplishment in comparison to 2020 when the Dogs only had three. 2019, Georgia did have four, but in 2017 and 18, Georgia only had three. So over the course of the last four years prior to this, Georgia's averaging just slightly more than three first-team All-SEC selections per year. But in 2021, that number went up to five, just below what I said was the national championship threshold of six. But you know, listen, you know, George Pickens' injury and obviously the situation that Adam Anderson's gone through probably impacts that a little bit. That Georgia's actually kind of tracked pretty well with what a national champion needs to do from an individual talent standpoint, uh, and way better than what the program had been over the course of the last few years. So that's not necessarily supposed to make you feel better about where Georgia is right now in comparison to Alabama. But it is a reminder that you can't just blink your eyes and be the best at anything, whether it be playing the piano or, or, or in college football, that these stories are told over the course of years. And over the course of the last five years, the Georgia talent story is greatly improving. Now, here is what some of you are screaming back at your device right now. And I totally get this. You're shouting back at me, well, B.A., that's all well and good. But what about the fact there's only one of these guys on offense? What about the fact that Brock Bowers is the only one on the first-team All-SEC offense? This is so typical Georgia. Great punter, great defense, one dude on offense. Totally fair. There is no doubt that right now there is a lag in comparison to the Georgia offense and the Georgia defense. Even after Saturday's SEC championship, this is still a great Georgia defense that had a bad day on Saturday. And even though Georgia statistically has had a very good year offensively, This is clearly still a program that has a higher profile on defense and it does offense there as well. However, here is what cannot be disregarded. Georgia put a pass-catching target first-team All-SEC. Do you know how remarkable that is compared to what the program had been doing? When you go back and look at the the previous, what, uh, four years prior to this, you you had Nick Chubb made it in 2017, you had DeAndre Swift made it in 2019, you had a couple offensive linemen make it, but there was no pass-catching target that came really all that close with to, to, to truly achieving first-team All-SEC status until Brock Bowers did that this year. That Bowers, the first-team All-SEC tight end, actually shatters a little bit of a glass ceiling for Georgia by becoming a pass-catching target that, that, that got the attention that he got from the folks, in this case the coaches, that, that, that voted on this stuff. That while it's maybe not quite the balance of the program you'd like to have to only have one guy on offense, the fact that it is a pass-catching target for Georgia that does make first-team All-SEC is actually another example of how the program stature has improved here over the course of the last couple of years with Todd Munkin at the helm as offensive coordinator. And furthermore, whether you believe this or not, whether you notice this or not, the people that matter most are noticing this as well. Because I had a chance to interview uh, Oscar Delp on Friday. Delp was with us in the booth during our state semifinal game between Milton and Walton. Delp just was kind enough to come to the game and kind of sit in there with us for a little bit. We talked to him, and you know, he said something I thought was really interesting. He talked about how that the decision to choose Georgia ultimately came down to the fact that Georgia kept its promise to him. Now, I'm paraphrasing this a little bit. 
kept its promise to him that they said they were going to use the tight end. They used Brock Bowers to a huge degree, and after that occurred, there was really no decision left for Delp to make. He said this with us on TV Friday. Many of you saw it. And it kind of reminded me of the similar sentiment that Delp echoed when he actually announced his Georgia commitment, once again referencing Bowers by name as the reason why he did that. So when you look at the improvement and the progression that Georgia's shown on offense – the words of Oscar Delt, one of the future guys that will play in this offense, I think reinforced that pretty well. So let me let you hear Oscar on the guy, uh, Bowers, who just became first-team All-SEC tight end yesterday. Take a listen to this. I mean, it really just came down to where I'm going to get developed the most and uh, have the, the best opportunity to make a name for myself and really kind of get the ball. And uh, I think that uh, Georgia has developed offensive line, developed defense, and every, every week in practice I'm really going to – be, uh, getting reps against the best players in the country and I think it's really going to make me a better player in the long run and uh, kind of I love what they're doing with Bowers so far this year and uh, how they're going to use us together in the future I think is really going to be a cool thing so I, I can't say this in any simpler terms than this the Georgia offensive evolution that has been ongoing the statistics speak for themselves but a touchdown better per game than it was a year ago about 10 points per game better than it was two years ago the, the Georgia offensive evolution that's been ongoing is embodied perfectly by what Oscar Dupp says there. When he says, I'm going to come to Georgia because I want to be used the same way they're using Brock Bowers right now. That a couple of years ago, there was no proof of concept. A couple of years ago, you had to try to convince a guy that, well, we're not really throwing to guys right now, but when you come here, we're going to throw to you. Once we have you, we're going to do that. Recruits, for the most part, are just smart enough not to buy into that. Whether it's true or not, they are going to put their faith in pass-catching targets especially. They're going to put their faith and trust in a program that has a history of, of doing with players that look like them what they want to have done with them once they get there. And now Georgia's got an example of that in Brock Bowers. And who knows how in 2022 maybe some of the wide receivers that are in this program may be fairly developed and, and used more, and all of a sudden that becomes a little bit of a proof of concept for that there as well. That admittedly, the Georgia offensive transformation has not been a quick fix. Overnight, Georgia has not become as good as Alabama offensively. Doesn't have the same caliber of quarterback, doesn't have the same caliber of wide receiver play, but it is getting closer. And the first team All-SEC stuff from yesterday is another example of that. Five guys first team, way more than were predicted at the beginning of the year. Way more first team guys than were on these kinds of teams in previous years. And a new threshold of achievement in that one of the guys that catches passes for a living is also one of the guys that's on there. Over the course of the short term, people have a tendency to overestimate what's possible. Over the course of the long term, people have a tendency to underestimate what's possible. In the case of UGA, some of this program's best fans, some of this program's closest followers may not be paying attention to just how much growth has been shown by this program in recent years, especially on the offensive side of the ball. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Hello to you, and thanks for being with us today, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, starting at 945 with our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. Of course, 10 a.m., we get going on all the video platforms there as well. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon. Typically, I'm going to have the Sports Radio 963F. We are preempted on radio today because of Lady Dogs basketball, and of course, we love Joni Taylor's team there so uh best of luck to them as they continue to roll through the uh roll through the season but we'll look forward to being back on Athens tomorrow 
and of course podcast form however you find them worldfamousdognation.com everything else just thanks for being with us here today on dog nation daily good stuff all the way around special guest for us coming up in a moment jeff centel gonna gonna stop by today one week ahead of national signing day and the beginning of the early signing period to more, more correctly state it uh, we'll get some updates from Jeff on UGA recruiting. While we're uh, getting ready to do that, though, let me also tell you about a really cool company. You've heard me talk about this now for a couple of times. I want to make sure you're aware of this. It's Space Dogs. Now, I'm a little bit of an old school guy by nature. So sometimes some of the new trends that show up, it takes me a little while to kind of figure out exactly what's going on with some of this kind of stuff. And maybe that's the way you feel about cryptocurrency. You've heard a lot of talk about crypto and there's a lot of obviously news reports about that maybe some of the friends that you know are involved in the crypto space and you're kind of wondering well what's the what's the best way for me to get involved with it and is it something I actually need to be involved with and by the way what even is it well I think sometimes at its simplest essence crypto can just be a safe and secure way to pay for the things that you're already buying online especially this time of year a lot of holiday gifts things like that that's one of the things that that crypto can kind of be there for you there's a brand new company run by dog fans that has a lot of informative stuff online and some really cool new products to help you engage in the crypto space if you want to do that, but also understand more about it because they're really taking the mystery out of crypto. I'm talking about space dogs. You've heard me say this now a couple times. Of course, dogs spelled the way it's supposed to be, D-A-W-G-S. Space dogs has a, a handful of really cool new products that I think you ought to be aware of. They have a you know dog's token, which is really cool, but they've also got their dog's wallet, uh, their space card, which I said, said before, is really just about making safe and secure transactions online. And you're hearing me say this, and frankly, you're saying, well, BA, I still don't quite know what this is. Well, the good news is, is the folks from Space Dogs are better at explaining this than I am. So do this. Take the simple step of going to their website. It's dogs.io. That's D-A-W-G-S. Dogs.io. Learn about their dog's token. Learn about their dog's wallet. Learn about their space card. Learn about how the, the entire idea of crypto is a lot less mysterious when you kind of engage with some of the products they have for you. And you know, these are good dog people. These are UGA fans. That's kind of a cool thing there as well. It's just good stuff all the way around. So dogs.io, learn more about that there. Take advantage of their products and just kind of have a cool experience and, and find out how the things that you're buying, the transactions that you're a part of can be made a lot more safe and secure with all of the array of products available to you by our friends at Space Dog. So make sure you check that out, dogs.io, for a lot more on that. All right, before we get Jeff Sintel, a uh, special appearance by him on the program today, let's also go around the doghouse here today, furnished by Rooms to Go. And I want to try to be very candid for a moment. We're only going to do this you know, pretty quick here. Let me, let me be kind of candid here for a moment. So I told you earlier this week that I just don't have the energy to do the quarterback conversation each and every day between now and December 31st. It's an important topic, I don't, but I don't have the energy to just do it every single day. And my hope is I'd like to kind of try to move off of that. But in attempting to move off of that, here is something that I've noticed. And you, I think some of you would probably put yourself in this category. And as I said before, I'm trying to be as, you know, as candid and fair as I possibly can. There are some people out there that are confused to the point of frustration. And I really do get it. I, I really do. As I've said to you now, I started saying this a couple of months ago, um, that it is obviously weird that, forget the fact that JT Daniels is a former five-star, and forget the fact that Stetson Bennett's recruiting profile was much less than that. Just put that aside for a moment. It's obviously weird that a guy that was your starting quarterback at the beginning of the season 
who was injured for a while, but the best that we can tell now is, is, is healthy. It's obviously weird that he, at least on Saturday and seemingly the weeks prior to that, got no consideration to come back in the game. Uh, of course that's weird. Like the one thing I've said in addition to that, just because it's weird doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's obviously weird. And I think what I'm seeing from some of the folks who do truly believe that JT Daniels deserves a shot in the college football playoff, I think what I'm sensing from some of those folks is a frustration. And I said before, some of this is about Kirby Smart's unwillingness to explain this, but some of this is also frustration directed at people like me related to the fact that I'm not, I guess, what's the way I'm trying to say this? That, that they don't feel satisfied with my explanation. That, that when they look at the, the decision to go with Bennett instead of Daniels, it's not just Kirby Smart uh, and, and what he's saying or not saying about this because I think they understand that Smart has a little bit of an incentive to be uh, secretive. They look at some of the stuff that I'm saying and they think that I'm giving too much credence to Smart's stated reasoning for doing this. And I kind of understand that. Like the last thing I want people to be is frustrated about the way in which this conversation is taking place. So here's my remedy for this. We'll do this very quickly, set this up today, and we'll kind of pay this off over the course of maybe the next couple of days. Here's what I want to do. I want to talk about arguing for a second. There's a lot of arguing that goes on on the Internet. Are you familiar with the term straw man? Do you know what that is? A straw man is when you invent a point of view or perspective that your opponent in an argument doesn't really have, but the perspective that you invent is easier to argue against and so that's what you do that's generally thought of as kind of an unfair arguing tactic to kind of create a straw man to argue against well also on the internet there's this concept of the opposite of that it's called a steel man a steel man is when you take someone else's point of view and you try to bolster their opinions with as much facts as you can to support that point of view even if it's different than your own here's what i like to try to do and I want to try to be as fair as we possibly can to satisfy those who just don't feel like JT Daniels is getting a fair shake in this argument. So I'm going to invite you to do this at Dog Nation Daily. I want you to send me your thoughts here on Twitter. I'm going to read this stuff on the air. I want the steel man argument for both these quarterbacks. What's the strongest argument in favor of playing Stetson Bennett? And there are some people who kind of gravitate towards that. What's the strongest argument for JT Daniels? I want to hear the best possible arguments. And I want to, over the course of the next couple of days, kind of put them out there. Like the straw man version of this is, well, Kirby Smart's not playing JT Daniels because he's an egomaniac. That's obviously probably not true. The straw man argument against JT Daniels might be, well, they're not playing JT because he's hurt. Well, at this point in time, that's probably not quite true either. At least we don't have any reason to believe that's true. That, that, that the, the, the ultimate reasoning why it would be Bennett or the ultimate reason why it should be Daniels has got to be different than that. It's got to be better than that. It's got to be numeric-based or, or, or eye-based or, or, or whatever else. It's got to be something more substantial than that. So as a way of kind of like truly justifiably moving on from this topic, I do want to give the folks who say it's just crazy that Daniels isn't getting more of a fair shake here. I want to give them their chance to make that argument. So hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. We will steel man these arguments in favor of Daniels. Those who want to argue for Bennett, do that. And then we'll kind of just get it all out there and kind of see where it goes. Because like the one thing I am a little suspicious of is whether the argument in favor of Daniels is quite as substantial as some people think that it is. I'll admit that. That, that I think some of the people that 
have talked themselves into JT clearly being the best option right now. I don't know that they truly have the facts on their side as much as they might think they do. I'll just be honest with you about that. But I want to give them a chance to make their case. So we will do that. Hit me up on Dog Nation Daily. We're in a steel man the quarterback argument here moving forward. Uh, We'll do that over the course of the next couple of days. And after that, we will have set our piece on that topic. But I just noticed too much frustration to kind of leave it where it was. And I want to give a chance for that to be out there right now. That is Around the Doghouse. It is furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go. And, of course, you head towards that holiday time of year. Uh, Rooms to Go, so many great things that make an unbelievable gift for the people in your life, whether that's the piece of furniture that your significant other has been wanting for a long time, or if it's one of those things where you're about to have a bunch of company over, either for holiday parties or holiday get-togethers, a lot of family coming over, sometimes those in-laws, things like that can be a little judgmental. And you want to kind of head that off the pass with a home that looks perfect, well, that's what Rooms to Go can uh, provide for you. They can get your home looking exactly the way it's supposed to look. As I said before, whether you need that individual piece of furniture, whether you need the whole room or indoor, outdoor, bedroom, living room, dining room, whatever else, Rooms to Go has got it all for you. You can start your shopping experience online at roomstogo.com, or you can just stop by one of their showrooms. I actually love doing that. I just love to kind of go in there, and I want to lay on the furniture, sit on the furniture. I want to touch what I'm going to buy. And that's what Rooms to Go. I've been shopping at Rooms to Go for a long time. Lots of my uh, home has been furnished by Rooms to Go over the years. And listen, I'm happy to have it all. So I think you'll be just as happy there as well. So check out Rooms to Go today, whether it's online at roomstogo.com or inside in one of their showrooms. Uh, rooms to Go, furnishing around the doghouse here for you on the program here today. All right. So uh, good to have you with us here today on Dog Nation Daily. Bunch of news around the SEC. Some of it pretty interesting. Uh, coaches on the move, recruits on the move. It's that time of year we got all that news together, but also a lot of this related to UGA there as well. So let's get some quick updates on UGA recruiting from our buddy Jeff Sintel. This is good stuff. Glad to have him and all of you with us on the program today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. This is not Jeff's normal day to be on our program, but boy, we sure are glad to have him. One week from today... The early signing period begins, and there's a lot of recruiting news that's out there, so I'd like to try to cover as much of it as we possibly can. Uh, Jeff, thanks for uh, being here on the program today. I guess let me start with this. A little bit of mystery and intrigue on the recruiting trail based on a statement on Twitter by UGA defensive back commit Julian Humphrey, who uh, says he thinks that Georgia's got itself a wide receiver in the fold right now. Let's show the Humphrey tweet if we can. Humphrey on the subject of wide receiver saying Georgia's got one. you have any idea what Julian means when he says that? Oh, Brandon, you, you hope he's saying that that, he, that Georgia's going to pull a first-round draft pick out of the transfer portal, right? Is that what you hope he's saying right there? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll take whatever. I just think that's a, obviously a hot-button position after Jamison Williams had the success against Georgia he did this past Saturday. And obviously the Georgia passing game had, had a hard time keeping pace on that. We already knew wide receiver was a hot topic, but the recent events I think make it an even hotter topic there. So Humphrey's tweet's going to get a lot of attention. Yeah, th- there was – you know, he's there, there's a couple of uh, likely likely places to sit there and wonder who exactly is Julian Humphrey talking about. First of all, Brandon, I know you're going to ask me to repeat this name over and over, but there was a young man out of Louisiana who Julian showed up on his timeline last night as well, and uh, he he's a three star out of Shreveport who just decommitted from LSU last night, and I kid you not, his name is the coldest. Crawford, oh, yeah. D-E-C-O-L-D-E-S-T. Um, he's a guy that, you know, obviously the fit there, 6'1", about 185, 
Obviously, the fit there isn't what it was thought thought to be anymore with Brian Kelly and the new staff. Also, there's a young man by the name of Camden Brown, who Cortez Hankton was in home with last night in uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, a Fort Lauderdale area. Um, he's a guy that was a pit decommitment on December the 1st. He took an official visit to Auburn over this past weekend. Uh, Georgia is now in his top five, along with Auburn and FSU and Pitt. Uh, he's also told me, he told me this on Monday night, it's about a six foot three, 195 pound receiver. Same high school as Marcus Rosamy, Jack Saint. Really, really is fulfilling the role that, uh, Marcus Rosamy did for St. Thomas Aquinas when he was in high school. Now he's giving it a good look to go perhaps following the same path at Georgia. He's giving Georgia his final official visit this weekend. There's names like Marvin Jones Jr. that's going to come in for his official visit as well. There's the big uh, offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman out of Texas, five-star, that's going to give Georgia uh, his last official visit. That's Mr. Campbell. Um, really, his decision was thought to be down between Texas and Alabama. Now Georgia's getting the final official visit. Georgia came in to see Devon Campbell earlier this week. Matt Luke gave him a visit in Texas. And you see all these pictures of Georgia coaches everywhere, Brandon. That hadn't happened since December yeah. uh, 2019, January 2020, of these coaches going in-home for in-home visits. And some of the guys, you can tell, uh, some of the guys are getting the solo treatment. Other guys like Michael Williams, yeah. he got three Georgia coaches. He got, he got Dan Lanning, he got Kirby Smart, uh, and he got Dell McGee. When he got Dell on the case, man, for the other side of the ball, you know it's serious. Yeah, I did notice that. There was a lot of presence there around uh, Mikael Williams. That's kind of a great thing to be able to see. Uh, continuing the subject of wide receiver here for a moment, something else that Georgia fans kind of noticed pretty quickly is, you know, a guy like Isaiah Bond, you know, uh, goes back on the open market, and then like five seconds later, he's going to a place like Alabama. And that's the truth is, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say the Bond's necessarily been a guy I've had circled for the entire time here for UJ or anything like that. But it just kind of goes to show you how quickly Bama moves when it wants a receiver, when that receiver has that opportunity for Alabama. There just doesn't seem to be much reason for slowing down and to reconsider. That just all kind of happens pretty fast there. I mean, is this an example the way that some Georgia fans kind of think of Bama just kind of moving at a pace on receivers that Georgia just doesn't have the luxury of being able to do right now? Well, I mean, I don't know. I think Isaiah Bond is more of a track guy that is going to – a track guy that's going to attract a lot of attention. He's rated as an athlete, Brandon. I remember, I mean, this was a kid that, I mean, through the first part of this year only had like 14 catches through his first like seven or eight games. Uh, not a guy that's, you know, carrying the mail for his team every down and every series kind of like a, a Luther Burden the third was. I mean, and, and really I know Georgia was – a in his final three, but I mean, Brandon, he never made our, made our hedges top targets list. He never made our also names considered. I never really thought that Georgia was a factor for Isaiah Bond whatsoever. He's, he's actually, his dream school was Florida. He's a Florida decommitment. And man, you want to talk about, I know you like to peruse through dumpster fires right now. Um, Florida's recruiting is certainly taking turns left and right. Uh, they just, uh, Billy Napier had an in-home, visit with their, I guess, their basically anchor commitment of their class, Nick Ewers, uh, Elite 11 quarterback. And basically he saw the handwriting of the wall that he was no longer a good fit for Napier's offense. So here we are a week uh, outside of National Signing Day. And really the core anchor commitment remaining 
of uh, Florida's class has decommitted, and now he will look for another school. Um, I know you you don't mind a little side road with all the bumps and travails of uh, Florida Florida Gators recruiting so far under Billy Napier, but I mean, there's a lot. Um, you know, Bond is a guy, speedy athlete. I guess you would a lot, a lot of people tried to think of him as a Nicole Hardman type guy, and now I don't know if he's as shifty and as sudden as Nicole Hardman. I've seen him play live. But, um, you know, it was sort of a guy like Nicole was wingy quarterback at Elbert County who then grew into his position at Georgia and now into the NFL. Some would say he's still got a couple more clicks to go on his potential. But uh, Bond is a freaky good athlete. It's kind of interesting. Buford High School, a team that always wins the state championship in Georgia, that is alive in the state championships this week in Georgia as well, is now sending two guys, Isaiah Bond yeah. and Jake Pope, uh, to Tuscaloosa. That gets people's attention there, too. I've already heard that in our comment section already today, but the fact that, you know, uh, Bama's had some repeated success there at, at Buford in this cycle. But as far as, like, him being uh, a track guy, I mean, as I said before, I have no idea how good a receiver Bond is. But that also brings back to mind for me what has kind of continually been the missing ingredient for Georgia. It's the speedy receiver. Not to knock the guys that Georgia has, but they are kind of in that category of what Barton Simmons used to call like the Cadillac. You know, big body, good-looking guy, but not necessarily going to be, you know, not necessarily built for handling, right? Not necessarily built for, uh, you know, built for speed. And, you know, Arian Smith can still, I think, be that person, but he's had obviously a good bit of injuries. And some of the guys that Georgia has that don't quite have that top-end speed have still found a way to have, you know, pretty good careers. But Hard not to notice the way in which Jamison Williams used speed to his advantage on Saturday, and also hard not to notice that like that's the one thing that the Georgia receiver room just doesn't ever quite seem to have, which is the 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 polished speedy receiver. They've had speed that's not polished or polished that's not speedy, but finding the polished speedy guy seems to be the 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 the, the missing ingredient for Georgia in that room. Yeah, and maybe it's a little dabble of polished, speedy, and healthy as well yeah. in the case of or or in the case of Arian Smith, maybe a polishing uh, speedy receiver. And, you know, that's, that's, that's really the impetus that Georgia's done there. My, I think they've done kind of very well kind of trying to find it. I think Lad McConkey, he has that ability to be sudden, uh, kind of like the way they're going after Squirrel White right now, uh, the Tennessee commitment out of Clay Charleville High School in Alabama, throwing Cole Spear there as well. Those are the guys that are uh, – I like the Cole Spear example a lot. Cole Spear, I think Georgia's going in home with the – with Cole Spear up in Calhoun today, another another you know guy that's playing for a state championship this week out of Calhoun High School. But you see a guy like Spear; he's more of a football player purely, and then he's got some game-breaking speed built on top of that. I think maybe that's the model Georgia might have the most success with. Lad McConkey was a football player; he was a quarterback for his high school team his senior year. Squirrel White is a guy. That's the reason why I would always prefer the evaluation of a Squirrel White over what the potential you had there for Isaiah Bond. That's simply because Squirrel White is produced at the highest level. He had 17, 18 touchdown catches this year, was averaging 20 yards per catch in Alabama high school, class 6A football. You know, with Georgia, Brandon, and wide receivers and how those bullseye guys end up drifting away from the bullseye somehow, when they get to Athens and they go through a couple of seasons in the SEC, that's why I think for me the best gauge to figure out if this guy's going to be a home run hitter and a, a really a, a stallion for Georgia at the college level is to see him already do it in big time football uh, at high school level. So I saw Cole Spear earlier early this year. Obviously, you did there as well. I thought he was very impressive. I, I think that's a good looking player. And 
I also think this, and I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Georgia's got to use the players it has if it wants to get the players it wants. You know, like the Evan Stewarts, the Luther Burns, the guys like that. If you want to win those kinds of recruiting battles, you've got to make Cole Spear into a big-time player. You've got to make, you know, uh, Lad McConkey into a big-time player. You've got to make Jermaine Burton into a big-time player. You've got to make A.D. Mitchell into a big-time player. Those are the recruits that you can get. And frankly, over the course of the last three cycles, Georgia's done better at wide receiver recruiting than it's done the previous decade. So they're getting better from a receiver recruiting standpoint. But if you want to recruit receivers as well as you recruit the other position groups, you got to make the kind of players you can get into players. I played the audio of uh, uh, it, Oscar Delp. I played the audio of Oscar Delp uh, before you joined us of him when he committed to UGA saying that seeing Brock Bauer succeed made him want to come to Georgia. Well, there's a lot of receivers out there that want to see the same kind of proof of concept as well for this current crop of receivers. And when they see an A.D. Mitchell really pop, when they see a Cole Spear really pop, when they see a Ladd McConkie really pop, they're going to say, well, if they can do that, I can do that. If receivers are being used this well at UGA, imagine how well they're going to use me. And so, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat this, that for Georgia to really break into the final frontier of the very best wide receivers, you've got to effectively use the caliber of wide receivers you currently can recruit. Yeah, I I like – you know, when you come at all these things, Brandon, I just think of how Georgia's wide receiver production has kind of been hanging on by its fingernails on a cliff. I mean, everybody talks about the big names that aren't coming in, and this is another class where, although I think Denylon Marset is actually a top 15 overall receiver, top top 12 overall receiver, had a really special senior year. Um, you know, where would Georgia be offensively right now with highlight films to show those guys? if Ladd McConkey was not an absolute steal and A.D. AD Mitchell was not an already early game-breaker as well. I mean, without those two guys kind of shoring in a lot of the gaps with injuries or whatever you want to say it, that wide receiver production would look a lot more stunted. And I think that's what people do is they sit there and say, look at this kid, look at this kid, Um, not highly regarded at all. What what can I do if I take my talents there? I think the biggest thing for Georgia, and everybody's going to say, Jeff, this is what they're saying this week, Where's the big-time receiver? Where's that explosive offensive weapon? Well, Georgia has been able over the last two or three cycles to bring in some really uh, devastating talents. Jermaine Burton, uh, Dominic Blaylock, George Pickens, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, Arian Smith. We just know the history of all those guys. There's an injury. Uh, there's just not injury where you're going to miss four or five weeks in a row but never really be up, and there's guys – the Dominic Blaylock situation, the Arian Smith situation, uh, a lot of those heavy hitters, those top 100 overall prospects, still haven't panned out at Georgia regardless. And interesting what comes across my phone as we're talking, Brandon, um, Brett Venables in Oklahoma adds the Ole Miss offensive coordinator uh, to their coaching staff as well. So yeah, that was... Oklahoma's going to be able Sorry, that, that had been rumored to be in the mix. That was certainly a big-time hire for, um, for Venables right there to obviously shore away the – the area of of the offense that he wouldn't be quite so comfortable with getting a guy like Levy is a big time hire. Yeah, Levy. I mean, absolutely, the ball is still going to be in the air at Oklahoma with Levy uh, going over from Ole Miss to uh, Oklahoma. And you want to talk Venables is a very interesting. I'm more interested, Brandon, in what's going to happen with Oklahoma and the departures from the Clemson staff with Venables, the departures from the Clemson recruiting class than so much that what Lincoln Riley is going to do out in California. I mean, Venables was kind of the core guy for Dalen Everett, Keon Sab, who was already decommitted from uh, 
Uh, Clemson is looking really hard at Michigan right now. And you've also got Jahad Campbell, who's the edge guy that I've seen him in person. Brilliant, impressive-looking prospect as well. He gave Georgia an official visit. And it'll be very interesting to see if Clemson can hold on to Jahad Campbell's commitment. I know what you're going to say, Jeff. You've probably read some of the same things online that I'm hearing, but uh, Jahad Campbell, is if he decommits two likely spots, are Georgia and Texas M. And wow. then we, then, then that start, then that starts another, uh, long conjecture, long narrative about how in the world is, is, uh, Texas A&M using this NIL stuff so effectively right now to bring in what looks like an almost all five-star defensive line class. Yeah, no, they're, uh, cleaning up and recruiting for sure. Uh, two quick issues I want to get with you before we let you go. I'm trying not to keep you forever here today. You mentioned before full court press, multiple Georgia coaches in the same visit. Certainly Shamar James, the linebacker, an example of that. You see a lot of heavy hitters. I see Glenn Schumann. I see Dan Lanning, Kirby Smart, all on hand to check in on Shamar James right there. James is a pretty active dude on social media talking about UGA too, it seems like, from time to time. And certainly, you know, been connected to Georgia seemingly ever since he decommitted from Florida obviously Georgia's putting the full court press on here at the end. How real do you think that is? Uh, very real. I think it's a really sal. Uh, you really, you really look at Pete Golding has been to see him. Nick Saban was at his school. Uh, and I know you've probably seen the tweet, Brandon, but did you like how he had a Georgia shirt on? That's not so much a big deal, but he said, Georgia family. Good to see my Georgia family. Yeah. Uh, hanging out again, Brandon. Our that's audience one is saying that, uh, that right that, now. Yeah, that's that, that's exactly right. Our audience is seeing that right now. That's one that I know that uh, the the Georgia commitments are gonna are gonna really work real hard on till the end to make sure that they hold on to Shamar James. Florida's trying to get in there. I don't think that's possible. I mean, I come back to the big thing that you see there with Shamar James, and obviously Brandon McCoby Dean winning the Buckets Award certainly enhances the value again of what he's trying to preach. I remember Shamar telling me shortly after he decommits from Florida is he says, I already trust Schumann. He develops guys, look at the guys in the league, and he knows the pedigree of Monty Rice, Roquan Smith, Tate Crowder, and Natres Patrick. And he said, look at the guys there, N'Kobe Dean, Jenny Kendall, Quay Walker. I know he brings in guys. I know they may not play right away, but when they do play, I know that you're ready because Glenn Schumann wouldn't put, wouldn't put you out there to play unless you were ready and he, he trusts you. And he said he trusts Glenn Schumann with his development. And those were big, bold words with Tabasco hot sauce on him, Brandon, when he told me that. Yeah, I don't know the first thing about what James is thinking or where he's going to go. I will say, as someone that would like to have him in this class, I almost feel like he likes Georgia on social media too much. Between he and Humphrey, there's almost been too much talk about Georgia and James that I, I don't know. This is, like I said, this is not analysis. This is just me, you know, spitballing here. But it almost seems like it's one of those things where it sort of sets up for a swerve more than anything else. You think that's a misread of the situation? Yeah, I think it is. I don't know if Shamar is that type of guy. And I, I don't know, Brandon, you might have the, you have, might have the remnants of, Saturday's hangover lingering through the cobwebs of your brain a little bit. I think a lot of these kids are very genuine for who they are and what they are. I mean, really, they love all these schools, Brandon. They love all these relationships. They love all these coaches. I, it's just really Georgia and Alabama here in the dance there for Shamar James. And Hey, Brandon, I know you'd feel better about it being a linebacker than it would be for a high-profile wide receiver or a quarterback or something like that. Yeah, listen, it's a great player, the kind of player that Georgia desperately needs. And as you said before, following in the footsteps of another UGA linebacker winning the Buckus Award, it's a pretty important thing there, too. Last thing for you real quick, and couldn't help but notice that a guy that I think Georgia's had targeted for quite some time, Christian Miller, 
also in home this week was Ryan Day and some of the Ohio State uh, coaching staff there with him. And, you know, this is the Buckeyes not quite giving up on this one yet, right? Yeah, and it's funny. Uh, Larry Johnson was a guy that he, actually the mentor to his high school coach, his former high school coach, Miguel Patrick, now the head coach at uh, Chris County and Cordell. But uh, Georgia's going in home with Christian Miller tonight. Now, it'd be very interesting to see if Georgia goes three deep there as well. Um, I put up a post last night about Christian Miller, which summarizes a lot of things. And it's not going to be a very uh, tidy and convenient narrative for uh, uh, folks to be following him on early signing day because, A, he's not signing on early signing day. He's signing during the traditional uh, Wednesday signing period in February. That means he's not enrolling early, but he will announce his decision on January the 8th uh, at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. It's really Alabama uh, Ohio State and Georgia for Christian Miller. I, fi- I find it curious, to say the least, or interesting that uh, only Ohio State and Georgia had scheduled in-homes with him for this week. And the other thing to think about there, Brandon, is he's playing in the state championship game at noon on uh, Saturday, which really going to make it pretty stinking hard for him to be able to take an official visit anywhere this weekend. Uh well, for him to be able to even get down into Athens where guys like Big Bear Alexander are coming back, uh, Julian Humphrey's coming back, uh, Malachi Starks is taking his long-awaited official visit, Griffin Scroggs is taking his official visit. A lot of those Bulldogs that have held their official visit in reserve for this weekend are going to play that card now and try to surround themselves with that typical closing season. Brandon, we've seen this in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. We didn't get that in 2021 because of the pandemic, but this is the time when Georgia marshals all its resources. It brings in its anchor commitments, its most engaging commitments, its most effective player recruiters, and tries to nail the, nail down another top top one, top two signing class with uh, schools like Alabama and uh, and uh, Texas A&M really charging hard. Georgia's still rated number one in the country right now with a very slim lead now over Texas A&M for the number one class in the country. Jeff, thanks so much for being here. Very interesting stuff going on with UGA recruiting. We certainly appreciate that all of that from you, and we'll read a lot more from you at dognation.com and hopefully get a chance to speak to you very soon there as well. Hi, Brandon. Hey, Before the Hedges tonight, you guys come check it out. We'll see everybody again later. Yeah, good stuff from Jeff tonight on Before the Hedges, presented by Kroger. Looking forward to that. Jeff, thanks for your time. By the way, also, Mike Griffith, a little under the weather today, could not be with us, but we'll look forward to having Mike again uh, next week. And, of course, uh, that's always brought to you by our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau every time Mike's on here on Dog Nation Daily. And, of course, Georgia Farm Bureau uh, doing a great job of taking care of folks around the state of Georgia because they love the state of Georgia, the the agriculture community in our state, and all the ways in which that supports folks really all around the world. That's what Georgia's kind of famous for in a lot of ways, and Georgia Farm Bureau is famous for being a part of those communities, yours, mine, uh, all across the state. Uh, They live, they work, they're a part of these uh, communities, and they understand that for you in your community, one of the things that you're doing each and every day is trying to get to work, and that means dependable transportation, of course. One of the things that goes right there alongside dependable transportation is reliable auto insurance. And reliable auto insurance means reliable auto insurance provider. Of course, uh, Georgia Farm Bureau has been that for Georgia since 1959 because they keep their promises to you. And you can find out more about this yourself today by checking out gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com. Find out why Georgia Farm Bureau is always the home team and find out what they can do for you when it comes to your auto insurance. 
Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, great stuff, Jeff Sintel, and great to have him on the program today. We'll transition now to cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. What somebody asked me a little earlier was, hey, B.A., uh, are y'all going to do shows from the cruise? I think the answer to that question is yes. Uh, we probably won't stream them live just because of the challenge of you know being you know on the Caribbean. You know That's a long way away from home, the streaming thing. A little unreliable when you talk about getting that far out into the ocean or the sea or whatever you want to call it. But uh, we plan on doing some shows. We plan on having all kinds of great Dog Nation events for the first ever Dog Nation cruise. Now, you may be saying, well, B.A., I've been under a rock. I've been in outer space. I've been far removed from the conversation. What exactly is the Dog Nation cruise? Well, I'm actually glad you asked that because right now on sale at DogNation.com, you can find out about the first ever Dog Nation cruise, which sets sail from Port Canaveral on April 25th. It's going to Nassau in the Bahamas. It's going to Perfect Day Coco Cay. This is going to be a huge event, as big as anything we've ever done at Dog Nation. And so many of you have already told me that you've made your purchase, you've got your travel plan secure, and you're going to be there with us for it. So we'll enjoy, I mean, Perfect Day Coco Cay, you've heard me talk about this a million times. The thrill side, the chill side, it is just one of the biggest attractions of them all right now. And it's right there, private island, available only to those who are on a Royal Caribbean cruise. And, of course, a great port of call like Nassau's fun there as well. The stuff to do on board while we're on the Independence of the Seas. That is going to be incredible, too. So it's just uh, a wonderful experience. Unparalleled entertainment, delicious food, uh, plenty of beverages, of course, special Dog Nation events, the possibility of maybe a special guest or two stopping by to be a part of the entire event with us. It's going to be phenomenal, and we want you there as a part of it. So please go to dognation.com and find out how you can be with us for our Dog Nation cruise setting sail from Port Canaveral on April 25th, but travel plans are available to be made right now. You can book your cruise vacation with us. Uh, the Cruise and Vacation Authority is one that's helping us out with all this. There are great partners in this endeavor, and dognation.com, top of the page, gives you a link there to the Cruise and Vacation Authority. So with that said, let's cruise around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean here for a moment. And there are a couple things I want to make sure we uh, get to here as we're cruising around the SEC. So uh, let me stumble around here and find my uh, notes. Uh, yeah, there we go. So uh, the rest of the All-SEC team was announced yesterday. Can I see that first team list again here for a moment? Uh, we can kind of talk about, you know, who, who shows up there. So Bryce Young shows up the uh, first team All-SEC quarterback. Probably no surprise there. I, I do think there was some frustration for some that Matt Corral didn't get more consideration for the Heisman Trophy than he did. Obviously, C.J. Stroud seemed to kind of salt that away in terms of his nomination status there at the end. And you know, uh, pick it both with the fan vote that he got and the way in which they won the SEC kind of helped him out there. Uh, no surprise that Young gets the first team All-SEC nod, but I think there is some chatter right now that that maybe, uh, you know, Corral should have gotten more consideration for the Heisman Trophy than he did. When you look on the defensive side there for a moment, obviously Will Anderson Jr., another guy on the Alabama side who just had a, uh, a really great year and uh, obviously impressive to see those three Georgia names were there. So, Listen, that's the first team story. That's kind of what the SEC, you know, uh, put out there. And obviously nice to see so many Georgia names on that list. Mentioned this before, Isaiah Bond, the four-star receiver out of Buford, did commit to Alabama. Uh, that's the kind of thing that Alabama does. It collects these receivers. As Jeff was telling you, Bond's a little bit of a speed guy a little bit and the kind of guy that, you know, certainly kind of fits into what Alabama's done pretty well. And so when you watch Alabama, when you compete against Alabama as – 
last Saturday's SEC Championship game once again served as a reminder. The success they've had at the receiver position is obviously a big part of their success story all the way around. And you know, I think it's somewhat interesting. The guy like Jamison Williams leaves Alabama, I should say leaves Ohio State because he's not happy with the way that he's being used there. But instead of, instead of going to a program that had a wide open situation at receiver, he wanted to go to a place that has had a history of using receivers. That right now is what Alabama is, and that's the success that Williams enjoyed, and that's the kind of thing that, you know, you look at the 2021 class. Guys like Ajayi Hall, and it hasn't exactly been perfect for Hall necessarily during his time in Alabama, but but they cleaned up with the receiver in 2021, and obviously trying to keep that going here in 2022 with the person of Isaiah Bond, obviously is tied to the state of Georgia because he hails there from Buford. Uh, Jeff also mentioned this, that Jeff Levy uh, looks like he's leaving Ole Miss, going to Oklahoma, and that was kind of reported to be true yesterday maybe now it is official by the time you hear this maybe it will be and for Brent Venables the new coach this is a this is a pretty big statement for him to make upon arriving there as Oklahoma coach anytime you hire that defensive guy the big question is always going to be well how's this guy going to make the most important hire because offense still is the name of the game in college football it's great to have a great defense it's great to have a great defensive mind whether it be Kirby Smart Brent Venables or whoever else but you got to make sure you have your offensive thing figured out. And by being able to hire Levy, who admittedly is probably looking to get out from underneath the shadow of Lane Kiffin, who's a very astute, sharp-minded offensive coach, that is seemingly an example of him doing just that. It almost kind of reminds you of the way that Bob Stoops first made a name for himself. Remember, that's a defensive-minded coach, but there at Oklahoma, you know, you bring in those air raid guys, the Mike Leaches, the the Mark Manginos, the guys like that, and and you know. Stoops allowed himself early in his Oklahoma tenure to really embrace a wide open offense and it seems like now this is kind of what Venables wants to do there too it almost feels like you're following that um that that Stoops established blueprint a little bit defensive minded head coach but very sharp offensive hire I think most people will celebrate the Levy acquisition here is a pretty big deal for Oklahoma and maybe this was kind of always in the works because you couldn't hire a defensive minded head coach in this day and age without having some idea of the direction that he wanted to go offensively. And I believe most people, rightly so, are going to treat this as a pretty big deal. Something else that will probably be treated as a pretty big deal, and we'll talk more about this on SEC Country Live a little bit later on today, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the SEC Country video channels, that is Max Johnson leaving LSU, putting his name in the transfer portal. Johnson was a guy that I thought was really good in 2020, didn't always think that in 2021, but it's a big-name quarterback to be on the open market here and the kind of guy that's going to get a lot of attention. And probably the next in line of a whole bunch of, I would say, well-known guys that will at least shop around a little bit to see if there's a better option for them than what they are currently getting. And you know, hiring Brian Kelly doesn't make LSU immune to this right now. It is just going to be a wild and crazy offseason for the transfer portal. It's already starting to begin. And Johnson, of course, has ties to the state of Georgia, really ties to the Athens area because of being from Oconee County. He's going to get a lot of attention all across the board there. So the former LSU starter uh, now on the open market, and that will be worth watching. It will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean couple things for you real quick before we show you our golden shoe and count down to the next beat down of the gators and wrap up today's program of course our friends at marco's pizza great pizza at a great price uh 
So good. Tastes great. Authentic old world flavor in Marco's Pizza every single bite. Pizza lovers get it, and you can get it as well. You can get some great savings, like a large one-topping pizza right now for just $9.99. Tough to beat that. Marco's at Marco's.com. You can place your order and find out why. Around Dog Nation, we've been big fans of Marco's Pizza for a long, long time. Enjoy some here this week. That holiday party, you got a bunch of kids coming over. you got a you know bunch of family members coming over. Pizza, always a great way to feed a bunch of people. Marco's Pizza, great thing to think about on that. Marco's at Marco's.com. And speaking of holiday parties... How about the chance to serve some finished long drink? You want to impress the people in your life this year? Show them something they may not know about. Because while you've been hearing about finished long drink here on Dog Nation Daily for quite some time, it is still a new thing to a lot of people. They see the can, they think it's a beer. And you can tell them, no, it's not a, it's not a beer. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail that comes in a can. It means you pop the top, pour it in a glass, or just drink it out of the can. It's already ready to enjoy. You don't need to be a professional mixologist to take advantage of it. It's just kind of right there for you to enjoy straight out of the can, whether it's the Long Drink Cranberry, the Long Drink Strong, Long Drink Zero, or the Long Drink Traditional, Blue Can, Grapefruit Flavor. Uh, if you haven't tried it yet, or if you have some people in your life that you think need to try it, serve it for your holiday parties that you got coming up. And you say, well, yeah, I've heard you talk about it, but I'm not quite so sure which of these long drink varieties is the choice for me. Hey, make it easy for yourself. And those that you're serving this time of year, get those Eight can variety packs that include two cans of each long drink variety. That's something for everybody right there. And go to longdrink.com, put in your zip code, and you can find out where you can pick up some finished long drink here today. Really cool. Comes from Finland, starts there in the 1950s, been in the United States now for a couple of years. Now it's in Georgia, and wherever you're doing your shopping, you can find some finished long drink. So pick it up, enjoy that for your holiday parties that you have coming up. And, of course, we always like to close things out with our golden shoe, celebrating those Georgia fans who enjoy having a good time and obviously coming off the uh, loss to to Alabama. Having a good time, not the easiest thing to do. That's why our buddy uh, Arnold Santiago checking in here to show you that. uh, How about this? From the island of Hawaii right now, he says, I'm taking some time off in Hawaii to decompress from my alma mater's loss. He says, now it's time to beat Michigan. But before that, how how about him there in beautiful Hawaii? That's his golden shoe submission. Yeah, you talk about envious. A chance to be there and do that and enjoy a little time off and why. Kenny Chesney said it best, all you want for Christmas is a real good tan, and he's getting one there in Hawaii. I'll be getting one after Christmas there for the Orange Bowl and, of course, heading for our Dog Nation cruise after that. So all kinds of stuff like that gets you excited about the whole thing there. Uh, Gator Hater Countdown. Dogs go back to Jacksonville. 325 days from now, get a win against those lousy, stinking Gators and give Billy Napier an L2. That's fun to think about. We'll see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily. And on the podcast, time off the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cooled. And, of course, R.S. Andrews is the one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. Uh, this time of year, that heating system may be working overtime. You're worried that yours is almost at the end of its shelf life, and maybe somebody, some other companies told you you need a new heating system. Well, R.S. Andrews can give you a second opinion on that. In all likelihood, very many chances, uh, very many cases, uh, they can tell you how they can breathe some new life into that heating system. They can get it tuned back up to factory fresh specs for you. So find them online, rsandrews.com, for more on that. One addition to the conversation from yesterday that I believe is worth mentioning, and Doggy shares this online at dognation.com, that I was talking about the success that Georgia's had in kind of non-Alabama games. And my point in bringing that up is, is that Georgia's putting together a pretty good collection. And if you can't be as good as Alabama, which up until now Georgia hasn't been, 
it's still something to be better than everybody else. Not to say that you're happy with being second or you're playing for second or you know all you can hope for is second, but the best way to be number one is to get close to number one by being the second best team in the country and certainly beating the likes of Michigan on uh, on uh, New Year's Eve would be a next step in that direction. I was talking about the success against Clemson and Notre Dame a couple times, Oklahoma in the uh, Rose Bowl. Doggy fairly points out, though, that one of the blemishes on the smart resume is not just Alabama, but it's LSU, 0-2 against Ed Orgeron, both 2018 and 2019. And those were not good days for Georgia. And, you know, some of the folks um, were talking during the aftermath of the SEC championship, oh, this is the worst loss that Kirby Smart has suffered. And I don't believe that's true at all. Um, it was a terrible day, but the the worst loss relative to how Georgia played in comparison to how I thought it would play was Georgia getting shoved around the way that it did against LSU in 2018. It's kind of funny that the Orgeron career is so short-lived at LSU because in those two matchups, it is fair to say, as Doggy on DogNation.com pointed out, that he really kind of had Georgia's number there in that spot. Um, Darius, a.k.a. Skid Row, uh, at 4Diesel on Twitter says, because during the regular show today, what we asked for was, give me your factual argument in favor of JT Daniels, your strongest steel man argument in favor of Daniels, because I'm a little skeptical that the argument in favor of Daniels is quite as clear cut as some people think that it is. And people think I'm trying to, they say I'm gaslighting them or I'm not giving full credence to what they believe is obviously true when it comes to the Daniels thing. And the last thing I ever want to be accused of is being unfair. I can't always agree with what people want me to agree with, but and if people get mad at me for that, there's nothing I can do about that. But if people get mad at me because they don't believe I'm being fair, then that is the kind of thing I can't avoid. So I want to be fair. And so I'm asking for the factual arguments in favor of Daniels. We're going to kind of compile that list. Or if you want to give you your factual arguments in favor of Bennett, we'll do that. And what Darius says, look at the George Pickens numbers last year with each quarterback. A good quarterback elevates his wide receiver talent. So let's look here for uh, George Pickens for a moment over the course of his career, and let's kind of see where this takes us. Pull this up very, very quick. Let's look at Pickens' game logs. These are the catches per game in his career. All right, so last year Pickens played – with JT Daniels against Missouri and against Cincinnati. He had five catches against Missouri, two touchdowns. It's seven catches and a touchdown against uh, against Cincinnati. And with Stetson Bennett, he had four catches and a touchdown against uh Arkansas. I don't know if it was Mathis or Bennett that threw the touchdown. I guess it would have had to have been Bennett, right? Yeah, it was Bennett, right? He had uh, two catches and a touchdown against um, Auburn. Two catches, no scores against Tennessee. He had five catches, no scores against Alabama. And Pickens also had eight catches and a score against Mississippi State. So last season in one, two, three, four games with Bennett. He has a total of two touchdowns and a total of 13 catches. 
with um with Daniels at quarterback, he's got 11, 16, 23, four touchdowns. So the numbers are better for uh for, for you know playing with 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 Daniels than playing with Bennett, but I mean is that wildly different? Is I mean I mean is that wild I mean the Mississippi State game was a big game. You know, the multiple touchdown game was a big game. I don't know. I I, I don't I don't know. Um, you know, I guess you say four touchdowns compared to two is a big deal. So those are better numbers. So I'll, I'll give I'll I'll give that a fact in favor of Daniels that 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 Pickens had better numbers playing with one as opposed to the other. Carter Lawson writes in to say, I doubt anyone wants to win a national championship more than Kirby. Why would he not take the route that he thinks can uh, best get him there? Simple but hard to refute. The good old boy conspiracy stuff makes zero sense to me. Yeah, this is why I'm skeptical. I, I agree with Carter on this. Um, uh, uh, that somehow, some way, it's illogical to assume that Smart would make a decision that's not in his own best interest. That that given the gap in my understanding here, I'm not going to assume the worst on Smart because I don't have enough evidence to support assuming the worst about him there. That if no other reason than for simple self-preservation, Smart would make the choice that's in his own best interest because he would be benefited from that. You know, If you ever you know, follow economics, things like that, the number one rule seemingly of economics is that people respond to incentives. That, that Smart would make the choice that's incentivized. And so somehow, some way, he's come to believe that Bennett is the incentivized decision. Now, he may be inaccurate in that, or maybe maybe the result still doesn't work out to great success, but I agree with Carter. And this is why I'm asking people to make their strong case in favor of Daniels, fact-based case, is because it's illogical to assume that Smart is making something other than what he believes is the most, you know, uh, I guess, valuable decision for him to make. Uh, also, our, our buddy Ford Diesel comes back to say that JT's got more arm strength, better field vision. Those are really opinions. See, this is what you got to try to block out here. I mean, does Daniel seem to have a stronger arm than Bennett? Probably so. Uh, but the field vision thing is a little bit of an opinion. I mean, in fact, it's a, it's more of an opinion. It's an evaluation. Your evaluation may be correct, but that's not necessarily a fact-based thing. He also says Kirby picks his favorite quarterback, not the best quarterback. He says Fields was better than Fromm and Daniels is better than Bennett. This is also a logical fallacy, too. In retrospect, I think it's pretty clear that Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Jake Fromm. But that's not an argument that JT Daniels is better than Stetson Bennett. You understand what I'm saying? That you can say, well, I'm concerned that Smart might pick the wrong quarterback because in 2018 it appears that he did. You could say that. But you can't say Fields being better than Fromm proves that Daniels is better than Bennett. That's not a fact. That's that's you know a, a previous pattern that influences your current opinion. But that in itself is not proof of anything for Bennett and Daniels. Andy Coleman writes in to say, uh, first of all, he shares some kind words, and I appreciate that. He says, is JT getting first-team reps at practice? Gameplay showed elite-level ability to read blitzes, coverages, and read progressions, coupled with elite-level release times and ball velocity. You're either elite or you're not. So I think the way in which practice reps are being divvied up is one of the things that's probably the biggest mystery of all of this. And you know, different people are going to tell you they're hearing different things on that. But at the heart of 
when Daniels has played and has, and I think it's the it's what he was doing in practice that was probably the big story on that. You know, how much he was even able to contribute to practice probably kept him off the field now for a while. And I think part of Smart's unwillingness to even consider Daniels this past week was maybe that's just not what they had practiced to be able to do. And as you head towards the Orange Bowl, keeping practice a secret is just going to be a little bit harder to do because there's just a lot more media availability around the game that if Daniels is more involved in practice, we're likely to know. Um, It's the kind of thing that will probably be foreshadowed a little bit. You can't quite keep that quite so secret. And once again, to go back to the whole idea of what's a fact and what's not, this notion that that Daniels has superior field vision and superior – quarterback play that, that that we know how good that he is I mean when you go look at games like Clemson ranked opponent to begin this season Cincinnati ranked opponent in last season that if you're really looking to the argument for Daniels being the kind of quarterback that can lead you to a national championship if it's obvious that that's what Daniels is a national championship level quarterback that's being kept on the bench then the proof that's in the pudding for that should be found in the Clemson game, found in the Cincinnati game, because those are the kinds of opponents that come closest to matching what you would play in the college football playoff. And as you know, Daniels threw it 30 times against Clemson. Georgia scored three offensive points. Daniels was like one touchdown, one interception against Cincinnati. These were these were okay numbers, not necessarily all Daniels' fault. He was probably hurt in the Clemson game. Um, you know, he was, you know, playing with kind of half a roster or something like that in the Cincinnati game so you can't obviously say that you know those games being close were necessarily JT Daniels fault but it's also true to say that he certainly didn't take those games over and so that's the problem I keep coming back to is that there's this seemingly significant portion of dog nation that seems to be of the belief that the case for Daniels is obvious Maybe it's time to give another guy a shot, and maybe it's time just to try something different after Bennett's lost to Alabama twice. But the one thing I'm still not convinced of is that the case for Daniels is self-evident. I said before, I don't know there are quite as many facts that just scream it as maybe some people think they do, but that's why I'm inviting folks to tell me what those facts are, and we'll talk a little bit more about this tomorrow. So thanks for being here for R.S. Andrews Cooldown. Uh, check out them out online at rsandrews.com. they got plenty of facts on their side. Uh, they're the one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs, rsandrews.com for more on that. Hope you all have a great day, and I will see you back here again tomorrow.